Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is April 30th, 2019, and April is done. The showers have ended. The tears have come down, and now it's crunch time. May is the month of crunch. May is the month of blooming. And what we're blooming are foundations for a great nation to come forward. So that way, post-2020, we can say, keep America great. Now, today there's a lot to talk about. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Tory Sess Show, those that are new listeners, those that are devoted <laughs> listeners. I'm always here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Red State Talk Radio. So today I want to talk about real news. Everyone finds it a bit of a lull. Um, I'll be discussing Rosenstein's uh, letter of resignation, and I want to discuss it with Scott Adams uh, in the second hour, only because he has a different perspective and how he interpreted the letter. I myself uh, found it um, aggressive. I found it that the last two paragraphs were unnecessary, but they were used to demonstrate his... Um, I would say, point of view of doing the right thing for our country, which I wholeheartedly disagree with. Um, we could talk about the wire. We could talk about the appointment of the second council. We could talk about the renewal of the FISA warrants. There's tons we could talk about on that. And we'll hit that uh, during the second hour. What I want to continue talking on uh, today is Iran and what is going on, uh, what fanatic uh, religious fanaticism is, because I don't think uh, people really uh, grasp that concept. And that comes on the heel of President Trump um, sitting down with um, many leaders of Muslim Nations, nations that uh, have the religion of Islam at their core, where he is trying to formulate the mandate or the issue or the order to designate the Muslim Brotherhood as a foreign terrorist organization. Now, uh, to say someone is an FTO, you have to demonstrate that they are uh, causing harm in your nation, that they are promoting terrorist activities. This is going to be easily demonstrated um, for the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, um, his national security advisors and um, foreign service officers 
are already sitting down and putting together in place sanctions. And this is on the heels of his meeting uh, with the president of Egypt. And, you know, Egypt themselves um, is under fire with the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in regards to their political opposition, just so you guys know. So this would this would increase, you know, those, uh, like I mentioned, how the State Department advised people that uh, traveling to the United Kingdom uh, requires extra precaution. They're level two, so there's four levels. Uh, usually when uh, designation of a terrorist group is done, all nations that have this brotherhood, the Muslim Brotherhood, acting or having official parties in would automatically increase to a level three, even level four, which would be no travel advised for U.S. citizens to that nation, uh, which, uh, you know, puts a strain on economics uh, for those nations in respects to uh, how tourism is affected, business transactions, uh, and expanding or cooperating business relations within those countries. So, the Egyptian president was pretty much on board with it. I was actually shocked to see that the New York Times wrote about that. Um, and the Muslim Brotherhood, if indeed is found to be a foreign terrorist organization, that would also mean that Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib will have issues because many of their contributors, many of those that contribute money and monetary support to their campaigns and furtherance of their agenda are directly tied with the Muslim Brotherhood. So this uh, will indeed cause issues for them. So I welcome it with open arms uh, because we do know that the Muslim Brotherhood, aside from promoting terrorist activities in our nation, they also um, is hue and, 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 push forward and propagate violent extremism in uh, other nations around the world. And this would be uh, something interesting. Uh, notably, uh, Erdogan, Turkey in other words, is a very firm and very strong Muslim Brotherhood supporter. So... Um, Talk, speaking about Turkey, I published the article that I was working on on how Turkey will indeed be the deciding factor if we actually pull out of NATO. Um, this is something that was done before in 1919. Uh, this would actually benefit the United States uh, from a monetary perspective uh, and also from the perspective of how we operate uh, with our so-called allies. Uh, this would be indeed something that I would... Um, as a constituent applaud because it would benefit us a lot. And the reason that I'm saying that Turkey would be the deciding factor is that Turkey right now is actually manufacturing parts of the F-35 fifth-generation fighters. And so the concerns that we have, so there's multifaceted concerns with Turkey. Um, and just so you guys know, Turkey is the second largest in military strength in NATO, second to the United States. You do understand that. So it's the U.S. in power and then Turkey. So this is a big deal. 
because then that would make Turkey the leader of military forces for NATO. So they would be the first to respond, etc. And this is something a lot of people don't know. So, so Turkey is dealing with arms deals. Uh, they are they have purchased a hundred S four hundred surface to air missiles from Russia. Those missiles from the manufacturer do not recognize non-Russian aircraft as friendlies. They see them all as enemy aircraft. The concern that the president has uh, and, you know, the Pentagon and Secretary Pompeo and Bolton have repeatedly stated to Erdogan is if you go through with this deal, the F-35 deal is done. Because even though they claim that they will be able to develop a software patch that will help acknowledge and recognize NATO F-35s as friendlies. This would infer that they're great at cybersec, which is they're not widely known for that. But on the other hand, they would have to go back to the manufacturer, the Russian company, Russia, the state of Russia, and share information about technology on our fifth-generation fighters in order to ensure that the patch works. So this, in turn, would provide privileged information about the workings of our F-35 fighters um, and pretty much sell out our intellectual property on that to the Russians. And this is something that the president does not like. On the other factor... um, You know, Turkey, prior to these waivers, used to, let's pretend, get 100 barrels a day from Iran. I'm just saying a ridiculous number so you understand. 100 barrels a day of oil or gas from Iran. Um, And then when the waivers came in place, they only got 50. So they've already gotten hit economically for not being able to import oils from Iran uh, at a reduced rate. And now with these new waivers, with the waivers expiring this Thursday, they have a choice. They either take that down to zero or they get sanctioned by the United States. So this is another position where Turkey needs to decide whose side they're standing on. Uh, And then the third factor is the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, So it's very unclear uh, how people within the United States who have relations with this uh, terrorist network uh, will um, be operating going forward. Now, uh, we know that many terrorist groups like Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, Shabab are all linked to the Muslim Brotherhood. Remember, it was actually originated and founded in um, Egypt in the late 20s, 1920s. And then they created like this secret society, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, during you know, World War II, you know, chit, chit, chit. And it was like secretly done. And the Brits were involved with it, just so you know. Um, so it, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty embedded and longstanding organization. So it'll be pretty interesting to see how it goes. Um, now that we've actually designated the Iranian uh, guard as uh, terrorists. Uh, This is a big deal uh, in regards to issuing uh, visas or waivers to people from the Middle East. 
that actually work uh, with this organization. Uh, we have to acknowledge just how hard it's been for people um, from Iraq, from Syria, uh, from Qatar that work with uh, the Revolutionary Guard that we've just designated as a terrorist organization to get waivers uh, to work with Iran. Uh, so this has caused stress. Now, Iran has become extremely arrogant. Uh, it's it's more likely for the religious fanaticism that they have. And see, fanaticism, George Papadopoulos uh, tweeted out something that's a total Greek saying. It's it, it, He's Greek, so hey. And it's an idiom that's, that's used, which is like, you know, the way to cure fanaticism is with truth. Um, and fanaticism is where people are just insanely fanatic they're like crazy about something they're obsessed kool-aid is part of their blood you know they see nothing else so you know fanaticism religious fanaticism is the worst ever because think about it iran aside from having issues on foreign policy they can't strategize correctly they're um out cast, you know, they're at, you know, neck to neck with the Israelis and the Saudis that surround them. Economically, they're screwed. Now they have um, this alarming use of religion by them. So they're literally fanatics. They believe uh, that protecting uh, the oppressed and the, and, um, the people of their country is to push egemonic, like, you know, like royal pursue of religious policies across the region, that they must be dogma. And so the leadership in Iran is actually pushing that uh, to diffuse local tensions and conflicts and want to represent themselves as people that are the protectors of all Shia in the region. You know, we have the Shia Muslims. And it's employed a lot of the Shia dogmas, um, and you know, by way of, hey, we're so religious and we're so this and we're God's gift to whatever, that we're protecting all the holy Shia shrines. And so they recruit fighters, and a lot of uh, people, militants, um, mercenaries from Syria and Iraq that are displaced to do so. Like they're recruiting people under the guise of religious war. And more so the war is to defend. So Iran is having an issue. Um we have to understand that um, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant have um, contributed to that. Everyone, kind of the way that they're working and processing things and executing things is by saying that this is their destiny, that they were divinely chosen to conquer and occupy and support um, and are willing to invoke God's name um, and that God is the ultimate political voice or the triumphantness of their uh, 
cause is done so because of Allah. Okay. So Iran has a huge issue with religious fanaticism right now. And, you know, the problem that Iran has is that when they had an administration like the Obama administration that catered to them, that gave them the opportunity with this BS of a nuclear deal, which is more so just a front for money laundering, as we're figuring out lately, um, instead of them taking advantage of that opportunity and shedding that identity of being autarchic, of being, you know, uh, re- religious fanatics, they and 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 decide that they want to start to build bridges with the West and you know, advance in that sense and revitalize their economy and boost their country's image. Um, they didn't. They didn't take advantage of those eight sweet years that Obama gave them with tons of cash. Instead, they um, maintained a narrow path of this relig- religious extremism and um, almost like Wahhabism, right? Because it's like it's Sharia first, but we're protecting all our Shia monuments, and um, you know they've they've been very narrow minded on it, and so what they've done is on top of that, instead of just focusing on a narrow path, which is this is what we're going to do, so we can control the whole nation of Iran. Because one thing people don't understand is that it's it's a pretty big piece of land. Okay, so. Um, over the past years, uh, Iran has accused um, of Israel and Saudi Arabia and the United States of causing instability in their region. And so with that, you know, they're completely indifferent to consequences. They're like, we don't care what the consequences die. We will do this and die in the process. We really don't care. So, you know, they've pushed this... Um, imposed, I guess, on the people their uh, opinion of how the country should look and how it's their rightful, um, it's their divine duty to protect Shia monuments and stuff. And this is what empowered people like Bashar al-Assad in Syria, um, you know, in other times. I I actually am okay with Assad. Um, but uh, al-Maliki in Iraq, it's, it's a way that they've kind of tried to wage war against Saudi Arabia. And this, is, this was done um, by crippling countries like Yemen and Lebanon uh, using uh, this uh, terrorist organization, the IRGC that we just designated as a terrorist organization, and um, Al-Qud forces um, in, in, in an effort to undermine the Arab world. So one must understand that these policies are so aggressive that everyone who, uh, you know, observes them uh, is suspect of it, right? Because you're thinking like, okay, these are the Persians. These are the obsessive religious fanatic Persians, which were then coined the Ottomans. That's the leftover we have in Turkey, right? And what they want to do is um, get into um 
the Arab world and take over. You know, like Iran is gloating on their end and the people that run Iran gloat by saying that they've taken over Baghdad, Beirut, Sanaa, you know, and Damascus. Uh, You know, it's, they're, they're finding joy in saying that they're spreading their empire. So it seems like they're almost a little bit crazy. Okay, so with Iran, it's really hard to see where this will go. And I've been saying it since last November that war is brewing and the kickoff point will be Turkey. But unfortunately for Turkey, because they do subscribe to fanatic uh, religious fanaticism, right? And they're um, uh, Muslim fanatics. Uh, they have created relations with Russia, and Russia does not have the temperament for people like that, or countries like that, or uh, I would say actors as such. And so Russia, being an oil exporter for now, uh, seems to uh, have good relations with people like. Turkey, uh, but um, it's not going to last long because the one thing Russia doesn't uh, like is the aggressive stance that Turkey has. So they're pretty neutral at the moment, but if anything, when this war breaks out, you better believe it that it's going to be Russia that starts it. Because a lot of people are saying that, oh, you know, the U.S. is going to declare war on Iran. There's no point. They're going to fall themselves if NATO decides to uphold the sanctions that we impose. Now, if they don't, we can leave NATO and let them be and take it another way. People that won't sanction Iran because they don't stand with us on that aspect, then we sanction them. And the United States is pretty fine on getting along with themselves just fine and having, um, you know, good relations with others. We need to understand, though, that this Thursday we have countries like China who is one of the biggest importers of Iranian oil, right? And has even, and even though they're the biggest one, they reduced their oil imports by a quarter. So let's pretend they were getting 100. Now they were only getting 75 with the waivers just to appease the United States. But it has great relations with Tehran, okay, with Iran. For those of you, Tehran is actually the capital. And it's just enough um, to be able to have trade with them. And, you know, it's not to the extent where Washington will say, hey, China, you're totally in bed with Iran. We're not talking. It's just enough. It's kind of like, well, what can I do? They're my neighbor. I have to say hi kind of thing. It's like, you know, (laughs) when someone's like, why are you talking this way? Well, I'm really not. You know, they're the enemy. I just wave hi when they get their mail. You know, it's kind of like that. So China is very smart in the way they're negotiating and how they do it. And from the meeting they've been having and having Putin come in as like a, you know, throwing this big fancy state visit event for him, it indicates that Russia will be making some pretty coin because China will have to uh, stop importing oil from Iran if they want to continue to have talks with the U.S. And the unfortunate part is, is that unfortunate for China is that they had taken advantage of the system of how they worked with the United States for such a long time. I mean, you guys see it on Shark Tank. Why are you manufacturing this here? Maybe we could do it in China and it'll be cheaper. So, you know, China is very dependent 
on the United States to give them business. And also the fact that they can charge, you know, tariffs going in, but they don't, they were never charged tariffs going out. Well, now that's changed, but they're still dependent on our market. So it's impossible for them to say, well, what are we going to do? Shut down everything? If there's sanctions on China, then Apple can't make phones there. If there's sanctions on China, then we can't process these payments. If there's sanctions on China, then, uh, you know, when they outsource microchips to be mass manufactured, they, they won't do it. When they want bags, you know, um, printed out for the supermarket from China, they won't do it Uh, we're gonna lose a lot of business and it's gonna cripple our economy so guys it's it's a really big deal because this waiver expiration is twisting the arms of many big economies and many big military reinforced economies so turkey will be kneeled completely if they have to and they have a huge military force that no one likes to talk about and not only do they have a big military force but they are positioned geographically to have maximum impact either that be to the west to the east or to the south of them which is africa europe and asia in an instant so this is something people need to understand that this waiver situation this is probably why the president is a little bit quiet is a huge deal He's probably working like crazy on the phone with these countries saying, you better fix it, man. And China's saying, I can't do it because then I have to give all this to Russia. And what if Russia spikes the price because they know I can't do it? Because, you know, it's like, you know, when when we have a snowstorm, don't they just price up water bottles from 50 cents a bottle to $3? Why wouldn't Russia do it? But getting it from Saudi Arabia is longer, costs more, and you need to help us negotiate. This is what he's busy doing. Because our president just put the biggest economies on notice to fix this. I mean, Abe was already here talking with the president. So we'll see how this pans out uh, on Thursday. Post-Thursday, we'll see if there are new sanctions issued. So this will be very interesting to see. We'll continue this after the break. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. 
That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Remember, you can always follow me on Gab and Twitter at Tori underscore says. Now, the next thing that I'd like to talk about is Venezuela. Remember, I talked about Venezuela in 2018, and I told you how important it is. And I'll reinforce the importance so you understand. Saudi Arabia picking up the tab and churning more oil um, and, and, and... drilling for more oil and producing more oil uh, to meet uh, the deficit that pulling Iran out of the market would do, would decrease the amount of oil they have. Remember, Saudi Arabia only has 69 years of oil left at the rate, at the regular rate that they're drilling at. Venezuela has over 300 years of oil. Does that make it clear. And by telling Saudi Arabia to step it up, Saudi Arabia is like, well, step it up, but we got to get Venezuela on the market, man. We can't have Maduro hoarding it. We need more oil to go throughout because we're going to be drip dry and Saudi Arabia won't have nada. We will not have an economy. So let's talk Maduro. Let's talk Guaido. So About seven hours ago, Guaido made an announcement asking the Venezuelan military to join him to overthrow the Maduro regime today. So he made an announcement and said, join me. Every single citizen of this country, join me to take Venezuela back from Maduro. And so just so people understand that... 10 to 15,000 military personnel have left the side of Maduro and joined Guaido, Juan Guaido, to overthrow 
the regime today. It's going now. It's live now. It's happening now. So about five hours ago, soldiers that had defected and left Maduro and ran away to Colombia and Brazil are looking to come back to Caracas so they can help overthrow the Maduro regime. So the people that fled so that Maduro wouldn't execute them because they did not want to serve him anymore and wanted to support Guaido, and they left, are now coming back to the country to support uh, the effort to take back Venezuela and liberate it. Now, uh, the opposition faction of Juan Guaido actually... um, has most of the, um, is controlling the interstates uh, in Caracas, you know, the main roads uh, that actually lead to the airport. So that is key. In war, the thing that you want to make sure you can do, and when you're taking back a city or a country, uh, you need to have control of the roads and the airports and the seaports, right? Because if you can control that, you control the trade, you control movement, you control everything. Well, uh, troops that actually sided with Juan Guaido um, are now, uh, they've been having control of the uh, La Carlota Air Base um, in Caracas. So they are in control of it. Uh, they've taken over it. Uh, this happened about three to four hours ago. And um, it seems that uh, members of the National Guard within Venezuela have actually, uh, that had defected, um, uh, that had defected from the Maduro regime are now fighting with and alongside Juan Guaido. Now, um, Many National Guard members came in armored vehicles just a few hours ago into Caracas to show support. So they've actually like taken the tanks and the armored vehicles and drove them into Caracas, Venezuela. And uh, they are all going to Caracas to side with Juan Guaido. So we have military personnel literally taking aircraft, uh, ships, planes, boats, whatever you want to call Well, not the ships in the plane, not the ships, but all the tanks, the armored vehicles, and they're going into Caracas to show support. So they are coming in and pouring in. Now, at the La Carlota Air Base that I told you that they already had hold of and control of, um, about uh, three and a half hours ago, uh, there were uh, reports of gunshots. There's a video. Um, let me play it for you. Parecerían obvias. Difícil establecer, Juan. Sí, parecerían disparos. Sí. No sabemos es de qué lado provienen. Si del lado de... Una explosión más fuerte se escucha. Si del lado de la base aérea, la Carlota donde están allí apostados.
So what? Um, let me retweet this video. This video is, um, and I've just retweeted it, is showing people on a bridge um, uh, shooting toward uh, the La Carlota Air Base. Um, and that is uh, where you heard multiple gunshots. So they're actively at war. This is civil war. This is what civil war looks like. People pick sides and they start fighting. So um, a, it seems that there is a... Um, they, that the people that are siding with Maduro are the ones that were uh, holding up the shootouts um, with the National Guard. So it's uh, usually gang members, kind of like cartels. Um, you know, those uh, members of society that are not official, mem- you know, gangs or cartels that have uh, found their operations to be benefited by the Maduro regime. Okay. So these thugs are fighting for Maduro and they're attacking uh, military that have defected um, from Maduro's regime uh, to throw support behind the people of Venezuela and Guaido. Um, so, uh, there are more. There are many troops going in. A lot of people. Um, there's a lot of reports of uh, you know the National Guard and other military personnel um, heading toward Caracas. Many of them walking up with their hands up, saying that they are coming to support Guaido, and um, it's just a huge. It's a big deal because the military, La Carlota Air Base is literally filled with Venezuelan people protesting and supporting Juan Guaido. These are people like you and I who have left their homes and have gone there in droves to show, show support that they want their country back. Uh, you know, we, we had a civil war like that uh, many, many years ago in the United States. And um, these are never pretty. These are never good. Uh, You know, we're having a a very civilized civil war right now, and it's very subtle, as you know, but uh, hundreds and thousands of people are there, and most of them are heading down there so they can protest and show support um, for Juan Guaido. They are tired. They want freedom, and I am. I, I. I mean, we're witnessing history that will be spoken about thousands of years later. Remember, Maduro was put in place by the Obama regime, and I call it a regime because it was. People seem to forget it because Maduro started to break up with Obama, but he was a Clintonite. He was facilitated to go there, and then he he realized just how bad they are, and he took the wrong turn. This is the same thing with the USSR, guys. It's like when they put you up there and they promise you all these things, but then, you know, you see that you were suckered. So what do you do? You're like, oh, my gosh, I hate America. I hate everyone. Close my borders. I'm a dictator now. Blah. Kind of like Teray did in Guinea, too. This happens because no one goes into politics to take over and enslave a nation. Maduro was in the same place where Juan Guaido was before he took place, before he was slotted in. 
I mean, he was there for six months is the people's choice, right? And then he was slotted in. He got suckered by the Clinton regimes and the Bush regimes and then the Obama regime. And he said, poke this. I'm not doing anything. My people will do what I say. He killed trade deals. He locked himself out and he destroyed his nation because unfortunately, this is what happens. When you realize just how well networked the cabal is globally, you take, you make bad decisions and these bad decisions oppress people cause hunger pain and this is what happens you get a civil war after it and obviously thank goodness for president trump because he is like the shining light of the statue of liberty but for the world he is giving hope to people who have lost hope in regaining their freedoms and so this was an opportunity for us to help motivate Venezuelans without directly interfering, but it is is interference when you recognize the opposition is the true leader, but it's a motivation factor more. So, you know, you would think that people learn from their mistakes or other people's mistakes. So if ever you become a president of a country or take over a country and you decide that you want to tango with people like the Obamas, uh, make sure you've got some really good dancing shoes and you've got some really good glasses to see through the BS. Because when you realize just how extensively, and that's the thing, it's shocking. Because they control everything. You end up with stuff like this. Now, in Venezuela, aside from all these people going in, in there, um, you have to know that the people themselves, it's not just soldiers going to show support, but it's average people, kids, young, old, everything. They're there. They're occupying. They're blocking entrances. They, you know, they're taking over military forts and bases. They are just going in there, and they are demanding that the military that are sitting there idly, that they join Guaido. They join in this fight and that they help the people because that is their job. That is the oath they took. It's pretty cool to see, um, alive, but it's actually very heartbreaking because these things cause a lot of death. Uh, there will be a lot of, there are a lot of deaths already and there will be more. Um, prior to the show starting, I tweeted out how Maduro's tank ran over protesters, literally ran over them. Uh, so, you know, uh, there are government officials from Venezuela that are siding with, um, Guaido. Um, now Maduro has claimed that, you know, all public transport, um, Um, In Venezuela, like buses, trains or whatever are now canceled. So you can't get a flight. You can't get a bus. Or if you're heading to Caracas using any public transport, he has ceased all services for security reasons. The reasons are he doesn't want people going to Caracas. He doesn't want people going to places and occupying them. So um, an armored vehicle of Maduro's actually ran over protesters in Caracas And there are many casualties. I mean, it's just horrible. Uh, I tweeted out the video so people can see it. It is so disheartening. It makes you so sad to see something like this. Um, uh, After the vehicle ran over protesters, um, it is estimated that about three... Um, three to four people have died um, from the vehicle running over people. 
this is a huge deal, huge deal. Um, unfortunately, the media has been um, ceased. Uh, people from uh, foreign media are not allowed to report. That includes local outlets, uh, Brazilian, Colombian, you know, neighboring and U.S. news. So they're not um, they're not allowed. They've been um, ceased to be able to show footage of the protest. It is a pretty horrific situation. By the end of the night, um, I'm pretty sure we're going to have more on this, and we're going to hear what the outcome is with this. And um, the, the only thing we can do is pray for them, really. Um, we must pray for them and hope for the best and hope that there's few casualties and that the people get what they need uh, in regards to their government and how it is run and that the people are in control. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit uh, because this is really uh, sad, but it's developing. Uh, it's not like the regime will win anytime soon. This will probably go on through the night and a victory will be cast uh, by this evening. I'm pretty sure that's how they usually go. Um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about CNN for a second. Um, in regards to the way they are reporting. We have seen uh, their in obsessive ways of trying to still spin this Russia collusion, but they're bringing back things that don't make sense. They're recycling news. Uh, you know, they're bringing back Charlottesville. You know, they need to label the racist thing. They need to incite division. And I wanted to play a little clip of how Chris Cuomo claimed that Antifa is a good cause. Antifa, those people that cover their faces, those people that attack you, those people that the minute they see you, they just assume you have a privilege we need to understand that when I coined this in 2016, I, I don't know if I was the first one, but I was saying the MSM are domestic terrorists. They terrorize the people with misinformation. They terrorize them with things. They tell them that the bad people are the good people. The good people are the bad people. They're very confusing. And it's not just CNN. We have it from both sides of the aisle. Last night, I retweeted an article that came from a huge conservative account claiming, oh my gosh, did you see this? Muslim couple only get seven years by having a slave. Do you know what they were referring to? The Toure. Remember how I told you about Toure and Guinea and his son and how he had a slave and how they, you know, operated? It was wrong, but it was bigger than that. The seven years they got was nothing because they are getting stripped of U.S. citizenship and sent out to the hounds in Guinea right now. But for some reason, even the conservative media is pushing misinformation or they're doing things like inciting hate or rage with BS. Like, oh, Muslim couple did this. And I was like, I need to block this person, but she does share good content. So I just don't follow them anymore because this is hurtful. 
When you have a following of 65,000 and you tweet an article that is completely misleading, let alone write an article that, yeah, okay, yeah, they were Muslim and they did have a slave and they only got seven years. But the seven years is nothing. They're stripping them of U.S. citizenship and then shipping them out as felons back to a country that never wanted them in the first place that they had to get refuge from. So say the story like it is. Talk about the people that actually did it. Say how they are big diplomats. Say how they had the funding. Don't incite. You're no better than the left when you do that. And it really irritates me when I see reporting like that. Oh, Muslim did this. It's like, you're no better. You are no better when you push things like that. There is no one else on the world, in the world, I guess. I mean, yeah, there is. But I am with you. I denounce radical Islamist terrorism. I denounce radical Christian terrorism. I denounce all radical forms of everything that imposes on anyone. But to share an article like that is just horrid. This is why I say, be careful what you retweet. Be careful what you do. And please read the articles because you're just sharing information that's misinformation. You are no better than the left. Now let's take a listen to what the left is saying. And talk about Antifa. I've watched them in the streets protesting in different situations, okay? There are certainly aspects of them that are true to a cause. That is a good cause. They want social justice. They want whatever they want in that context. You tell Not me Antifa. when that has Antifa ever happened. You tell me when that has ever happened with neo-Nazis. Where they have ever been doing Chris, Antifa the right thing. Antifa is not thing. a good cause. Antifa does not have good aims. Antifa wants power, wants political power taken uh, through force. That's what Antifa is Steve, all about. I mean, they are be, the just inheritors be clear about of what Nazis I'm and brown I am shirts. not here to espouse Antifa or any group on the political well, sure spectrum. sounds like it. No, because you want it to be like that because you want it to be simple. No. And you want to be able to run away after something like this and say, Cuomo loves the alt-left. He loves them. And you know it's not true. You know it's BS. What I'm saying is this. You don't draw a moral equivalence between neo-Nazis and the people there to fight against them. You don't do it in that context because it's not what we are about in this country. Okay. And Rob, what, when you pair it with a president who refuses to call out Steve King, a president who says that the problems with domestic terrorism, with right-wing extremists, is not a big deal. But he talks about Islam hating all of us when they are nowhere near responsible for what we're dealing with here in terms of death and attacks as the right-wing extremists. When you put it all together, it makes you wonder, Rob, why is he so soft on one and so loud on the other? Wait a minute before we continue. He's trying to say, listen, remember, I wrote that article. He's trying to say that right-wing conservatives have caused more death and destruction in the United States than Islamic terrorists. And that is a lie. Because he is quoting, this is where Chris Cuomo is quoting the false the false report from the ADL because they claimed, listen to this, they claimed that Nicholas Cruz that shot up Parkland was a right-wing extremist. They claimed that the guy, that young guy that killed people in their sleep at a sleepover was a right-wing extremist when, what was he? A converted Muslim. They claimed that the guy who drove a van onto the Air Force base with a bomb was a right-wing extremist when he did it, what? In the name of Allah. This is 
all BS. I need you guys to understand just how bad this, I really wish I was one of those little windows next to him. I'd be like, Hey, did you pull that out of the ADL? It's kind of funny. Can you give me some numbers? Oh, you mean Nicholas Cruz was right wing. <laughs> That's funny. Cause Nicholas Cruz is completely insane and out of his mind. Didn't even know what he did. And he was never a right wing anything. But anyway, let's finish up his stupid talk. Help me understand. He said condemn totally. He does not talk about the people who attack these synagogues and who attack Muslims the way he does talk about Muslims who do the attacking, and you know it. And if you want, I'll send you volumes of his statements. Yeah, who? Okay. You know who would disagree with you about that is Rabbi Goldstein today. Yeah, I heard uh, him. That heroic man. I heard him. And I respect his pain and I respect his message. And the consolation that the president brought him with his words of compassion. And that is not that is not the story, by the way, of a man who hates Jews and who praises Nazis. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. I didn't say uh, he praises Nazis and I didn't say he hates Jews. If you can only resort to the absurd, Steve, you're not worth the position. Don't resort oh. to the absurd. I'm saying he's quiet oh. when it comes to how he condemns the right. So he's quiet. Uh, if um Cuomo could actually say where he gets his stats. That's great. Because the thing is, the left, they don't have the demographics. They don't have the stats, so they invent an ergo Jesse Smollett. Uh, That's one of them. But the ADL is a 501c that has actually been upheld for over 100 years. Like, they were actually referred to as, um, you know, a pro-anti-Semitism group. Uh, They were actually quoted in Supreme Court cases and readings, but they have strayed. I'm going to reshare that article um, during the break because Cuomo is trying to to reincite this white supremacy um, rhetoric against the president. Uh, he's doing it quite effectively, too, I might add, uh, by claiming such. What people need to understand is that Cuomo, just as all his buddies at CNN, they've lost the Russia collusion story. They can't go on it. They're pushing it in other ways, like suddenly Congress has the right to convict when they don't. The only thing they have is impeachment. They've got nothing for impeachment. And so now they're revisiting, you know, sexism, bigotry, white supremacy, etc., bringing back up Charlottesville as if the president said something wrong. And anyone that tells Cuomo, hey, man you're wrong he doesn't say that you know he tells him you don't deserve the job you have well you don't deserve the job you have Cuomo because you are quoting statistics from the ADL that is found to have fabricated the majority of them and actually minimize the Islamic terrorism so there aren't any attacks on Muslims they were all hoaxes some of them are still being prosecuted today and held accountable for doing so now We're leading up to the break, so uh, after this uh, break, we will have Scott Adams, and we'll talk about Rod Rosenstein, and during the break, like I said, I will tweet out that article and um, have you guys take a look at it again. Uh, it's, It's pretty incredible. I can't believe that Cuomo did that. I can't believe it. So stay tuned. I'll see you all in just a bit.
Broadcasting from within the borders of the greatest success story the world has ever known, the United States of America. It's time for an honest discussion from a fresh, new conservative voice. C.L. Bryant Show. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. This is the second half of the Tory Says Show. And in this hour, I will be having Scott Adams join us. So that way we can discuss Rod Rosenstein's resignation, take his take, take my take, and have like a really good discussion about it. Um, Remember, everyone, I'm always here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 p.m., and I thank you for joining us this afternoon, this amazing Tuesday, this amazing last day of April, and tomorrow is May the 1st, and I hear it's going to be quite explosive. I'm kind of at the edge of my seat. I just got this tip over the break. Um, It nearly floored me. I can't talk about it, though, much. I can only inch about it. Uh, Without further ado, of course, I would like to welcome Scott Adams to the Tory Says Show. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Tory. Glad to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Well, um, everyone, just in case you don't know and you're new here uh, with us at Red State Talk Radio, Scott Adam has has a great three-hour show in the morning. You can find all of it at scottadamshow.com where he has it commercial-free for you to listen to. So, Scott, what's on your mind today? What do you want to talk about? I mean, I know I want to talk about Rod. The great place to start, uh, Rosenstein, that, um, you know – it is an interesting topic, you know. Right away, I think we've all thought think that Rosenstein is a black hat and a bad actor, and that uh, completely blindsided the Trump administration when he hired Mueller after um, after Trump, you know, fired Comey. Comey was out in California. You know, one of the things that McCabe said in the CBS interview, and I think McCabe is a real compulsive liar, but what McCabe said was that President Trump called him and asked him, asked if Comey, why Comey was allowed and who authorized Comey to be able to use the FBI plane to fly back from California. I think uh, Trump wanted to blindside Comey because he didn't want Comey to cover up, you know, the mess that was going on and that there was a lot of mess that was going on. 
and that McCabe did say he got an interview with Trump as well, uh, and he smeared Trump in his 60 Minutes interview. But I think that the biggest danger of all was that this investigation would have ended up in the hands of McCabe. Keep in mind, McCabe was good friends with uh, uh, the FBI director who was in charge of the Little Rock, Arkansas FBI Bureau, who was supposed to be investigating uh, Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation. And of course, Comey was stonewalling that and covering that up because his brother was the auditor and he had spent time with the Clinton Foundation in years past. And so there's a lot of conflicts there that the Clintons really controlled Comey and McCabe. You know, McCabe's wife received the $750,000 payment uh, by way of McAuliffe, who was the governor of the state of Virginia, and his wife was running as a Democrat. Now, McCabe tries to say that he was a Republican uh, his whole life, but didn't vote for Trump. Um, you know, there's a lot of conflicts with McCabe. McCabe is a bad actor. So one of the arguments is being made, and again, you and I both feel Rosenstein's a black hat, that, you know, he ambushed the Trump administration and pulled a Mueller, right? But I think that the choice at the time, and if you listen to a guy like Brian Cates from Epic Times, the choice at the time was, should McCabe get to control this investigation or should should we get somebody else? And the somebody else turned out to be Robert Mueller. Now, I could think of a thousand people I'd rather have in charge of a special counsel investigation than a Robert Mueller who hires all Democrats. But keep in mind, too, that the other big enemy of the state is, in fact, the fake news media, the media that lies to us on a daily basis and that makes things up and that literally hates the president and that was drinking the Kool-Aid no matter what Obama did to the media, whether it wiretapped Rosen, Rosen, uh, James Rosen and his father, wiretapped the Associated Press, it didn't matter. Whether Clapper says unwittingly we just spied on every single American um, and lied about it, it didn't matter. Whether there was lies from the Eric Holder in Fast and Furious, it did not matter. Whether there were lies coming out of the Michael Brown uh, situation in Ferguson or Freddie Gray in Baltimore, it didn't matter to the press. The press had a narrative to carry, and they were carrying the water. And if you didn't carry the water, you ended up like Matt Lauer, or James Rosen, you ended up fired. And so there was a lot of control between the Clintons, the deep state left, even the deep state right, and the pushback, uh, you know, against the, the, you know, the, the press, the mockingbird media. But you had this investigation that was in the crosshairs, in the crossroads. You didn't want McCabe to have it. McCabe was, was duty-bound got paid $750,000 to carry that water. So they took it immediately out of the hands of McCabe and gave it to a special counsel. Now you think, well, was that bad? Was that good? I don't know. But we have hindsight on our side now. And we look back at the Mueller investigation and we got Greg Craig, who's in deep water right now, in big time trouble. It's probably going to flip against Barack Obama. You got... Uh, even a person like uh, Michael Cohen, who comes off at the mouth and is just guns a blazing. I hate Trump. I hate Trump with a passion. But oh, Trump didn't know about the you know the uh, the Trump Tower meeting. I was never in Prague. 
So I could have never started the Trump, you know, the Russian collusion story. And I go against, uh, and Trump didn't know anything about, I never, I never saw anything about Russian collusion. So at the end of the day, you're left with a victory, despite the way it was clothed, the way it was wrapped up, the way it was packaged. It was packaged to be a negative toward Trump. But the net result was a win for Trump, which actually makes the makes the makes the journalism and makes the media confused as to how they tell that story. Well, okay. So before we get into a few more details of what the Obama administration knew and whatnot, and I want to discuss that, I want you to tell me what part of Rosenstein's uh, letter jumped out at you, because for me reading his resignation letter was a really in your face letter. And I know you see it completely different. Um, but no, was, not, not completely, not well, completely sort of different. Um, you see it but, as a good one. But the thing is, is that he kept reinforcing that the department of justice has always followed the rule of law. And we know it to be a fact that that is not true. So he kept reinforcing that in every single paragraph, how the law is important, how they follow the law, how he did the law, how we're doing it without compromising law enforcement interests, which we know is complete BS. And, okay. you know, for me, well, let me read this. Though. Yeah. Our nation is safer. Our elections are more secure and our citizens are better informed about covert foreign influence efforts and schemes to commit fraud, steal intellectual property and launch cyber attacks. We also pursued illegal leaks, investigated credible allegations of employee misconduct and accommodated congressional oversight without compromising law enforcement interests. I commend our 115,000 employees for their accomplishments. He also said something about uh, uh, the uh, an, the inaugural address and patriotism, unity, safety, education, and prosperity. He talked about um, his jokes and you know and some of the good times that they had. Um, they, he also uh, ended it with, "We keep the faith, we follow the rules, and we always put America first. He ended the. Uh, the resignation letter with two words, America first. I actually thought it was a positive from that perspective. I found it that he really, paid a little homage. The paragraph, the third paragraph is where he should have ended it. And the other two were just more con for me. It was like reading it because I've seen many of resignation letters of military and government officials. And this one was a lot of waffling at the end to reinforce, Hey, I did a good job. I did the best I could because this paragraph well, the is third the, one, letter, the, the third, third paragraph, paragraph that you're referring to. He says, I am grateful to you for the opportunity to serve for the courtesy and humor you often display in our personal conversations and for the goals you set in your inaugural address, patriotism, unity, safety, education, and prosperity, because a nation exists to serve its citizens. The Department of Justice pursues those goals while operating in accordance with the rule of law. The rule of law is the foundation of America. It secures our freedom, allows our citizens to flourish, 
and enables our nation to serve as a model of liberty and justice for all. That's, that's where he should have ended. Yeah, that's where to. he should have ended it. Because it, he began the paragraph by saying that I've um, overstayed my tenure because usually a tenure of a deputy attorney general is 16 months. He served over 16 months. And he said mm-hmm. few serve longer than two years. And as I submit my resignation effective on May 11th, I'm grateful for you for the opportunity to serve then exactly what you said, the courtesy and humor. So for me, that should have been the ending paragraph and it would have been fine. It would have been neutral. It would have been fine because in the first paragraph he demonstrated while he was deputy attorney general, this is all the good stuff we did at the justice department. And we also did this in the second part of paragraph. So now I'm submitting my resignation. Thanks justice for all period. But he continued on, you know, quoting attorney general, Robert Jackson, um, you know, putting many, many quotes of, you know, facing corrosive for the audience. Yeah. And, and, then, and, and also, so, I mean, I could read it. I have it yeah, in front of me, no, but that's okay. why don't you go ahead and read yeah, that? So this fourth paragraph was what I was like, why is he doing this? He says at the department of justice, we stand watch over what attorney general Robert Jackson called the inner ramparts of our society, the constitution. It guarantees our freedom and the supremacy of law. As a result, the department bears a special responsibility to avoid partisanship Uh, Political considerations may influence policy choices, but neutral principles must drive decisions about individual cases. In 1940, Jackson explained that the government lawyers must at times risk ourselves and our records to defend our legal processes from discredit and to maintain a dispassionate, disinterested, and impartial enforcement of the law. Facing corrosive skepticism and cynicism concerning the administration of justice. In 1975, Edward Levi urged us to make clear by word and deed that our law is not an instrument of partisan purpose and it is not to be used in ways which are careless of the higher values within us all. And in 2001, John Ashcroft called for a professional justice department free from politics, uncompromisingly fair, defined by integrity and dedicated to upholding the rule of law. All of that is him saying, well, you know, whatever happened, happened. And all these people are like, you know, sometimes you just have to like get stuff done. Even people don't like it. And yeah, the law and upholding and it might not be favorable or this. We all know that all those quotes he put in there is all the crap that happened under the Obama administration within the Department of Justice. And for me, that was kind of him saying, yeah, all this happened. So what? It's happened before because it's been identified before. This isn't something new. You're not going to fix it. That's how I read it. That is how I read it. He did not need that paragraph. He didn't need the fifth one, which is we enforce the law without fear or favor because credible evidence is not partisan and truth is not determined by opinion polls. Well then, Rod, why did you substantiate the fake dossier and sign off on it then? Why did you appoint Robert Mueller based on a fake dossier if, you know, this is true? We ignore fleeting distractions and focus our attention on things that matter because a republic that endures is not governed by a news cycle. I'm sorry, Rod. What? 
The news cycle it was, is what drove everything for the past two years. You helped facilitate that. You sat there and said you were going to wear wire. You sat there with Pence, Coates, and McCabe and discussed these opportunities. You knew and you still did it. And this is him saying that, you know, this is how we do it. Well, where's the credible evidence that's not partisan? Where was your credible evidence when you substantiated the dossier? Where was your credible evidence when you allowed Mueller to indict 14 Russian nationals on evidence that isn't really evidence because CrowdStrike provided it? Where is the rule of law? So those, the, the last paragraphs were all BS and fluff. And it was pretty much in the president's face saying, you're not going to fix this. This has been ongoing. Look at all these people pointing it out, how this has to happen. From the 40s to the 70s to 2001, John Ashcroft, if you remember, got screwed by Comey and who? Mueller. He was in the hospital and they came to his bedside to demand things and to circumvent and avoid what the White House was trying to do. Okay. People so, you know so what forget. I've never, you know what I've never, uh, never figured out? And Trump, Trump actually has said this. And, uh, you know, Trump said that he came to me the day before he was appointed special counsel. And he's talking about Mueller looking for a job looking to be a director. I, I always thought that the FBI director was a 10-year stint and that Mueller had already exhausted his 10 years. He did. Um, Mueller was supposed to have what? left. So when Trump says that, though, and again, you know, everybody knows I love Trump, but when Trump says that, I've always thought in the back of my head, that could not have been the meeting. Like, if he did meet with Mueller, what was that meeting about? Uh, because, you know, to say that he was looking for, you know, wanted to be the next FBI director, I don't buy that at all. Because I, I don't even think it was legally possible. No, he so, could. He could. He could have a new tenure. He could have a new tenure. It's just that every tenure oh, is only... Tenure, tenures. Yes. I see what you're saying. Okay, so, and you the could then is... run for... A second ten-year tenure, correct? Separately, like but William it has Barr to be separated, as a okay. right? Just like William Barr, so it has to be separated by some okay. by and period of time. Yeah. So, but but for for Mueller, for example, he actually overstayed his tenure, and instead of the ten years that the law says, Obama overrid that and had him in there twelve years before he passed the torch to Comey in two thousand thirteen. And that's hmm. funny, right? Because Comey was acting attorney general when Mueller was FBI director. So weird, right? So weird. And then Mueller became FBI director. Comey left and went into private stuff, then came back as FBI director. And then when he left as FBI director, Mueller came in as special counsel. So weird, right? It's very bizarre. Right, right. It's very bizarre how the this torch. Mueller's boss, though. Right. But for, for me, like I said, this fourth paragraph with, where he's quoting all, you know, former Justice Department, AGs, IGs, okay. you know, well, he, so in your face saying you're not going to fix it because they've been trying to fix it for forever. So, you know, you can do whatever you want. This. Um, it says here and I'm going off the Daily Caller and it says, uh Rosenstein was initially reported to be leaving, okay, in March. 
Rosenstein's nearly two-year run at the DOJ was not without controversy. In February, reports surfaced that Rosenstein floated the idea of wearing a wire to secretly record his conversations with President Trump. Former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe claimed Rosenstein was absolutely serious about the prospect of surveilling the president, but the DOJ said McCabe's statements were inaccurate and fractured factually incorrect. Well, naturally, the DOJ would defend Rosenstein uh, because that's the DOJ against the FBI. Um, I don't believe McCabe for as far as I could throw him. And so I do, you know, but I, and I can't say this, uh, but with Rosenstein, I don't trust him either, but I, I trust McCabe even less. Now, uh, where it says this, it says Rosenstein was also responsible for the appointment of the special counsel after Trump fired former FBI director James Comey. The special counsel's investigation took approximately two years and cost $25 million in taxpayer funds, but did not ev- find evidence of collusion and did not reach a conclusion of obstruction of justice. Now, here's the kicker. In a speech last Thursday, Rosenstein defended his handling of the Mueller report and implicated the Obama administration for not doing more to stop Russian meddling, which I don't believe there was Russian meddling. I think that, again, is a misnarrative. Um, you know, they've meddled in every election, but there was no Russian meddling that was different this time than any other time uh, in the 2016 presidential election. He also took shots at Comey, stating the FBI director announced at a congressional hearing that there was counterintelligence investigation that might result in criminal charges. Then the former FBI director alleged that the president pressured him to uh, close the investigation and the president denied that the conversation occurred. So before submitting his resignation, Rosenstein also defended his boss, Attorney General Barr. He's being a, he's being as forthcoming as he can. And so this notion that he's trying to mislead people, I think is just completely bizarre. So one of the things I think might be happening too is where the House wants to, wants to grill Barr. I think Barr is working with some grand jury indictments that actually could be implicating congressmen, whether, you know, most Democrats or potentially Republicans. Yes, and I wanted to say that, and himself, because here's the thing. We have to see who his biggest cheerleaders are, and Schiff a year ago said that if Rosenstein was to be fired, that is obstruction of justice against Trump. This is why President Trump didn't have him fired or removed, but instead had right. him compliant because he had him boxed in. Just take a listen to what Schiff says. Let me just well, play this. Rosenstein right now knows he's screwed and he's being as nice as he could possibly be, as you would to a judge who you know holds your life in the balance. Yeah, but listen to what Schiff says um, to Wolf Blitzer last year. Listen to this, because it's interesting. It's I want to bring in the top Democrat right now in the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Let's get to some of these substantive issues. You're urging uh, Rosenstein to force President Trump to either fire him uh, rather than resign. Why do you think that would help protect the overall Mueller investigation? Well, because if he does resign, if he's somehow cajoled into resigning, then the president can slot someone in that position under the Vacancies Act that could control the Mueller investigation. And the president has made it very clear that he wants his own Roy Cohn uh, to do his business, uh, never mind the interest of justice. He wants someone completely loyal to him, not the Constitution. So 
There's no reason why Rod Rosenstein should resign. Uh, and I, I think that uh, if the president is intent on obstructing justice, then Rod Rosenstein should say, I'm going to protect the investigation. You do know what you need to do. And if you need to fire me, you fire me. But I'm going to pull the rule of law. And I think that's what the Constitution requires. Because it makes a, a very significant difference, as you point out, whether or not the president fires him or whether or not a, a Rod Rosenstein resigns in terms of a successor, someone who oversees the Mueller. What does it tell you that the president is still weighing this decision? Well, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if over the weekend uh, the president was stewing on this, as he usually does, uh, and uh, growing more angry. I, I you know, I, you can say a lot of things about Rod Rosenstein. I've never found him to be paranoid. Uh, if he went to the White House today thinking he was going to be fired, he probably had very good reason to believe that that was the case. Uh, but I, I think also, Wolf, the other consideration here is if the president fires Rod Rosenstein, uh, it is Exhibit B in the obstruction of justice case against him, Exhibit A being the firing of James Comey. He would have fired the FBI director in charge of the investigation. He would have fired the attorney general representative in charge of the investigation. Uh, and, of course, it would be abundantly clear why. Jay Sekulow removed all doubt this morning when he said if Rosenstein is pushed out, that should bring about at least a temporary halt to the Mueller investigation, of course, they want to make that halt permanent. Uh, so the rule of law is hanging by the balance here. And I think all of this means that Congress needs to take up legislation in its last week or weeks to protect Bob Mueller. Uh, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan can no longer make any credible claim that the Mueller investigation is anything but at risk. They need to do their job. They need to understand that uh, our role is as a check and balance and a defender of our democracy. And right now, they're completely falling down on the job. If okay, so, Scott, what I wanted to say and to my listeners, that was actually an interview he had with Wolf um, Blitzer on the 24th of September, 2018. Now, here's the deal. I'll tell you why he thought he was going to get fired. Do you remember that Colorado meeting in July where Schiff met right. with Fusion GPS and Glenn Simpson? Glenn Simpson, Nellie you know Orr. who else met with they them? Met, yeah. Rod Rosenstein. He, he met with Rod Rosenstein was there too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. So this is the thing. It was in September when I had information about those pictures. And through subpoenas were we able to uh, get them. I sent them to different sources. Remember, I'm not allowed to use those pictures because the source doesn't want to be named who has the pictures of Schiff and Glenn Simpson and other Fusion GPS operatives like Nellie Orr. But in those pictures is Rod Rosenstein too. Now, I brought that to the attention. I asked the reporter who had them to provide them to me. They refused to give it to me. So I um, had sent, and I'm sure other people did too, not just me, uh, complaints about it. When he walked into the White House that day with his head down and people were like, whoa, he's getting fired. Do you remember? It was because he was yes. found to be well, there. Well, President Trump was in New York that day right. uh, at the UN. Right. So here's the deal. I believe what you said, that he's probably under an indictment with congressmen that includes Schiff and other congress members, including Republicans, that were in on that meeting. And this is why he maintained his role. He spilled the beans. Now, to could keep conceivably, his, yes. when you talk about the meeting, we can conceivably talk about Pence, who was in the meeting. 
Yes, we can. You're talking about the 25th no, Amendment meeting? No, no, no. I'm talking about, wait, first, that's oh, a different. You're meeting. talking about the White House. The Colorado, right. No, no, no uh, yeah. I got that. So Rod Rosenstein in September, right, September 24th, when, uh, you know, Schiff gave this this notion, right, out there that he might be fired and it's obstruction and we're going to fix this. Trump knew that it could be seen as obstruction. So instead he said, listen, man, I'm going to fire you. You're not going to have any pension. You either sing like a canary or else you're done and you're skewered and you will sing like like the fat lady sings at the end of the show. You are going to sing. And I'm telling you that is exactly what happened and you're right on the money that it's part of a, a grand jury investigation. So now that he has resigned on his own and he is leaving, uh, he won't be able to testify in Congress either because it'll be confidential because it's part of an ongoing investigation and implicated are Congress persons and Senate persons that were all at that meeting. And how do I know this? It's because that former FBI right hand man for Comey that worked for that works for Disney was also there facilitating the meeting because it just so happened that Universal Music, part of Disney, was there and he was setting up the tech. So it's all strange how all these people, what was it, serendipity, appeared at this conference and they all had sidebar and Rod Rosenstein was in it and that is where they're like, why were you talking with Fusion GPS? And this is where it all stemmed. So we have to go back to July of 2018 when it happened because there were rumors that he was going to get fired for that 25th Amendment meeting, which, by the way, Dan Coates was in that too. No one's been talking about Dan Coates. Take comfort in this. Um, I have actually a clip. Uh, I don't know. Do we have some time? It's a 30-second to 40-second clip. Yeah, that's fine. I didn't even play commercials. We're good. Okay, uh, this will be interesting. Um, you know, Trump. You you listen to him speak, and Trump has spoken. You know, all the time. You know, it's in, it, going back to eighty the eighties. You know, he's been very consistent. It's who he is. He hasn't changed one bit. You know, he is the warrior that he is, and nothing's ever going to change that. He's been very consistent, more consistent than anybody I've ever seen in politics, for sure. He's just been so consistent with his, you know, his ideology, his thought processes. Well, here's one where he's in a 1998 interview with a BBC interviewer. And I'm hoping this comes out. The revenge, the revenge. I played it last week. Go ahead. It's my favorite. Importance of getting even. Is, Is revenge sweet? I believe strongly in getting even. If somebody has hurt you, if somebody's gone out of their way to hurt you, I think that if you have the opportunity, you should certainly go out of your way to do a number on them. And I've had more criticism about that one statement than any other statement. The clergy is called, the ministers, the priests, the rabbis. They've all said, what a terrible thing to say. That's against our teachings. I just believe it. I believe in an eye for an eye. If you did turn the other cheek, as the clergy are presumably suggesting to you, what would that do to your reputation in business circles here in New York? Do you think? Well, I don't know what it would do to my reputation. I just don't believe instinctively in turning the other cheek. If somebody was out to hurt you, if somebody was out to do a number on you, I really believe that you should just do a number on them if you get the chance. <laughs> that's that's pretty good, right? You know, he is all about revenge. And he 
No, he feels that revenge is sweet and that, you know, what was been done to him, and not only that, but not just done to him, but done to his children, done to his friends, done to people that have done him right, people that wore the red hat, you know, the Covington school kid, the kid out in Arizona that got coke thrown in his face and his hat ripped off his head. All of these people, Trump sees it all, and he is going to get revenge for all of that. You know, Scott, I, I played that clip, I think it maybe was last week or the week before that, because I wanted people to know that Trump is not the type of person that'll be like, ah, you know, whatever, because he said that. He's like, forget it. Leave Hillary alone. But then she came for it. Remember when he said that at his speech? He's like, I was all for it. Let's just move on. I'm president now. And then, boom, they throw this roadblock called Mueller, and they're doing all this stuff. Now, you know, whatever, fair game. He pretty much said that. And, you know, he was trying to be a bigger person. But Trump is the type of person of eye for an eye. And I reiterated that to my listeners by playing that specific clip. That BBC clip is... Trump unplugged. This is the whole interview was great, by the way. Yeah, it was was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, The way people were talking about him and everything. Now, in regards to Rod Rosenstein, like his resignation is huge because uh, you would think, you know, he was supposed to be leaving with the entrance of Barr. And Barr, when he announced the Mueller report back in March, said that, well, I asked Rod to stay on for a bit, right? It would have been uh, that, uh, you know, A.G. Barr normally would say, all right, now you can go. Instead, he resigned, which allows him to save face, but it also allowed him to put out his saltiness. But he ended it with America first, only to show that even though you're not going to stop this and you've got me by the balls, I'm on your team now because I get it and I'm going to get what I'm supposed to get and I'll just deal with it because he got a pass for singing because the indictments that are beco- that are going to be coming around for Comey now in the next few days are going to be intense. They're going to be right. incredible. Yeah. The judge, uh, Joe DeGeneva De, De uh, promised, you know, he went out on the limb on that, said two weeks, this is going to be separate from the Horowitz thing. But in two weeks, this is going to be big. Again, this whole thing about Russian meddling is all designed to say if Russia is the blame, then you can obfuscate or you can take the blame away from Obama and, and, um, and Hillary Clinton. But Russia is not the blame. And I guarantee you, you're also going to see a pivot. You're going to see a little bit more of an alliance with Russia and Putin and Trump when it comes to North Korea, when it comes to Middle East strategy, uh, and when it comes to, uh, you know, foreign policy around the world in general, you know, deleveraging and leveraging. I mean, who who's a better friend to us? When you take a look at Turkey, the European Union, and what they mean to the United States, you take a look at the five eyes trying to overthrow our election and blame it on Russia. Who's the better ally to the United States, Russia or Great Britain, Russia or Australia, Russia or Canada wants to rape us over the coals with trade, or Russia and Mexico wants to open up our borders? I don't know that our allies, our traditional allies, have been a better friend to us than, say, Russia. You know what I'm saying? And Trump understands that, that 
Our allies have not been our best friends. We know who our friends are in this world. It might be Abe from Japan. It might even be that we can work something out with China because they at least have big, big pants. It's the European Union that actually, well, you know, bleeds dry and leans on us for uh, as a piggy bank and then smears our name all over the place. Well, they They've didn't... not really been the greatest ally. Yeah, They've been takers more than givers. But they haven't been like that. See, with the Obama regime, okay, because that was a regime, uh, they were all, you know, oh, America's so great. We love it. Let's throw you parties. We treat you like royalty because he led the global effort. The well, reason... We treat him like an, our entourage and we're the millionaire. Right. And so now we have President Trump who's like, wait, hold on a second, man. I'm not catering to you guys. I'm catering to my people. Maybe you guys should do the same for your own because that's what real presidents do. They don't bow down and apologize. And, and the how, many, is- how many hammers in the world have we seen collapse financially because they had too big of an entourage? And it was all the people that were really just using them and stabbing them in the back. That's what the United States has been doing, pimping themselves out to all these uh, socialist globalists that have been bleeding us dry and stabbing us in the back every chance that they get. And Trump is basically saying, hey, I want a new posse. I want new bilateral trade. And on top of that, don't forget, these countries have been around way longer than we have. So we're like the new kid on the block on the planet. And the one that is leading, you know, this new cool group of let's take over the world. And you still have Mm -hmm. these old guard, old, old, I would say, uh, in their ways, leaders like China, like Russia, like African nations, right? Um, That are like, oh, we don't want to play with that young country that doesn't know what they're doing and are pretty much just a conduit for you guys to execute your new empire. Sorry. And you know, this is showing yeah, from all your, sides. Take your, take your um, We Are the World Foundation and shove it right back up your butt because that was a bunch of fraud right there. Was. You know, going back to the 80s, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was so bad. But you know, here's where you see the allies going. President Trump about an hour ago tweeted, we have 18 Hundred ISIS prisoners taken hostage in our final battles to destroy a hundred percent of the caliphate in Syria. Decisions are now being made as to what to do with these dangerous prisoners. European countries are not helping at all, even though this was very much done for their benefit. They're refusing right. to take back prisoners from their specific countries. So we have prisoners from England, from Germany, from France, from wherever, and they were down there fighting for these terrorist factions. They're mercenaries. Mercenaries have no loyalties. They fight for the highest price. And they're not taking them. So what, we're going to take 1,800 prisoners? Do we execute them? Like, what do we do with them? Why aren't they on board with it? And why is it that Saudi Arabia is helping us in Syria? Why is Russia helping in Syria, but no European nation is? I thought that they were plagued with refugees pouring in and falling on their shores. This is exactly what I'm saying. We owe no allegiance whatsoever to our NATO allies. We don't. We've been giving them, you know, so much money. You know, and what really bothers me is Barack Obama gave $9.6 billion in the last six months of his term uh, to the UN. Again, another anti-Semitic globalist socialist organization that doesn't have America's best interests at heart. But that's where Obama was. Obama was an anti-American, you know, 
jerk. Well, you know, it's all coming down now because, you know, it's interesting. I want to see what China's going to do, though, Scott. I'm, like, waiting to see. I'm, like, I have literally three windows open following Chinese social media and local regional channels and one that just gives me feeds of their news. Even though I don't read Chinese, I know a few words. China. We have leverage over China like there's – you would not believe. But the thing is – But what we have to do – is we have to control China uh, in a way that's, uh, and we're doing it. We can tr- control them with trade, but their military is getting out of control in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, they're controlling their, that air, their bodies of water. Uh, they're making our navy look small in that region. Uh, basically, they're you know they're dominant with regard to trade, and we have a lot of leverage because we have been so far. Uh, steered in the wrong direction over the last 20, 30 years with China and other uh, organ- other states. But we have a lot of improvement to make, and tr- Trump is on this. But basically, uh, we, could, we could collapse China if we wanted to, but we, we, that would be foolish. Uh, but we could actually gain a lot of control uh, by actually having a great relationship with China. That's why Trump consistently says – President Xi will have a lot of respect, want to be his friend. They're going to have these state dinners. It's going to be great. Uh, I really think we can work something significant out for China. But you know what? You know why we can do that, by the way, Tori? Is because our economy is so strong. We have a 3.2 GDP. We have the best jobs market in the history of, of America. You know, and Joe Biden wants to go out to Pittsburgh and talk to 200 people and act like he's got the teamsters in his pocket. It's ridiculous. Well, you know, the thing about China that I'm waiting to see is they are the largest importer of oil and gas from Iran in the world. They are Iran's biggest and customer. Waivers are important. And that's he, why yeah, the sanctions are important. The thing, that's the thing. So these no. waivers are expiring on Thursday. And, you mm-hmm. know, even with the waivers that they had, they were they only reduced their import by 25% because they were very dependent on it. And so yeah, now we no had... Else? Well, I was just going to say that he met with Putin and had a state visit, you know, with him. So maybe he's going to be President Xi's going to start buying from Russia. I mean, maybe this is why they sped up this whole Venezuela thing, too. Um, Do you that know what today- the biggest deal is that people aren't talking about is the World Bank, Malpass, David Malpass. This this guy has already been on record saying that China had been getting access to too much cheap money. They're no longer the developing nation and are not entitled to the kind of breaks that they've been getting over the last 20, 30 years. The World Bank is cracking down on China. This is as a result of Trump finding a way to exploit the Chinese guy that was the head of the, he's a Chinese American, but he was a Chinese guy that was favorable to China. And he was the World Bank uh, leader for years under the Obama regime. And now we got this conservative Republican malpass that's going to change the the playing field with respect to China's ability to get access to big, big investment money. Well, here's the deal. Um, China uh, is under a lot of pressure. And so uh, that's where my concern is, is what's going to happen with China because we're going to, we're going to sanction everyone that doesn't comply with the expiration waivers. We are going to sanction them. And you know what I wrote about today? Yeah. Because of the world. 
Right, but the the thing World Bank now has teeth. It involves sanctioning and all kinds of stuff. Right, but the thing is, um, Marco Rubio and Menendez actually pushed the bill. They literally pushed the bill to push forward to disallow Russia and China to influence the Mediterranean. And that is going against what President Trump is doing because, you know, obviously Greece and Italy, both those countries are also with waivers. You know that, right? They were buying directly from Iran. And so, and no one mentions Taiwan, Italy, and Greece for some reason. They only mention the other five countries. Now, the thing with Italy and Greece is they've been oppressed by the uh, European Union um taxes so much and they have disallowed them to draw a drill for oil because greece has oil so does um certain portions in the sea that Italy has. And they've been disallowed by the European Union to actually exploit that for their own benefit. So they can't buy from Turkey because the pipeline never happened. So they have to buy from Iran. But this bill disallows them from doing that. And on top of that, to make ends meet rather than sell their gold, they've allowed the Chinese to buy airports, seaports, and privatize them. So that way they have a cash injection to pay loans that are due to the European Union. So well, because we have they have a own- debt to pay. They get a lot of Chinese money. China is going to try to influence uh, American elections more than anybody because Trump is playing hardball that China never had to play. They would love to see a liberal, elitist, globalist uh, because they could beat them. You know, it's easy to beat the pants off of liberal elitists because all you got to do is pay every individual a couple million bucks and you pretty much got all the policy you want. The pay-to-play works really well with the globalist elites in yeah, Washington. But, the thing is- but Trump, he's, he's not insured. He's not bought and sold by anybody. The point here is, though, is that we have Marco Rubio and Menendez pushing a bill forward that would not allow those two countries to be able to comply uh, with U.S. sanctions because they're limiting right. to where they can get. Because the only place that Greece can import cheap oil and gas is from Russia because they have the way to do that. The same, and so now we have people within the United States. So they're fighting against Trump, Trump's waivers right, and exactly. sanctions. Exactly. That's my point. So, you know, no, people are it. not reporting it, and this is huge. Menendez is one of the most corrupt senators on the planet. They're all clowns. All of them are clowns. I mean, it's ridiculous. Rubio is too. Rubio lied to everybody's face when he said he was going to give up his Senate seat to be a president. When he realized his goose was cooked and he couldn't even win Florida in a primary, he went back to trying to go for his Senate seat again. He lied. Yeah, of course he did. He's 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 slimy. He got caught, uh, pay to play with insurance companies. We know that. Uh, the bottom line is, Right now, from today, on Thursday, there's going to be so much. And you know the Comey indictment? This is where I was going with this. So the Comey indictment, I believe, will be dropped when we start sanctioning other countries because CNN and all of them will start talking about that because what they like to do is with these sanctions, they like to inject fear into the population that our economy is going to crash because we've put sanctions on Turkey or we might even put more sanctions on China because they're buying from Iran, right? There's ultimatums. So what they do is they start instilling fear like they did to our ag division, right? All the farmers were up in arms with soybean tariffs. And so 
I think that the Comey indictment will drop to distract away from the negotiations that our president is doing in regards to foreign policy because they'll be more interested in that and get a lot more viewers and trash talk out of that than they will with foreign policy and how the European Union is going to start spinning it that we're just trying to get Russia rich, right? And how we're siding with Saudi Arabia. And, you know, this move now that the president is trying to make the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization adds to the pressure. Well, yeah, it's adding to the pressure now. What about about Barack Obama, who is in love with the brother Muslim Brotherhood? He never met a Muslim Brotherhood. He hasn't hasn't done it yet. He hasn't done it yet. He's discussing it to put it forward. Uh, I thought it was already done. Unless he did it today. No, he was discussing it with the president of Egypt, uh, you know, earlier this month. So he's putting forward uh, to put it. I'm waiting for like the formal announcement unless it's happened and I missed it. But that is a big deal because Turkey is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. So this is a huge deal. So we've got Turkey with Iran. We've got Turkey with Muslim Brotherhood. And we've got Turkey buying missiles from Russia. And Russia is sitting yeah. back like, I'm going to make some huge deal right now because all these people are going to come to me and buy oil because the crown prince is yeah. like, let's do this. And I'm telling you that today, today, out of all days, calling to overthrow Maduro is not chance because Venezuela has 300 and somewhat, 300, what, 63 years of oil. And so this is why it's being done because China's like, yo, we need this, this thing in Venezuela done with. We've invested $5 billion. We can you know, use our investment of $5 billion for oil and exploiting the oil there and drilling so that way we can make you know, ends meet in regards to our energy demands. So I'm telling you, it's not a coincidence that today out of all days – Guaido comes out and says, we take back Venezuela You never do know, uh, but there could very well be also that there was a deal made uh, related to uh, Trump getting the information he needed to do the prosecutions in Helsinki, you know, and that this was all part of the plan that they were going to turn it around and Russia was going to end up on the winning side of this thing. Uh and it's playing out to where the global environment is shifted completely and no longer, you know, I think we would rather actually give oil, oil, uh, give oil business to Russia than Iran. If you were to pick the two, which one would you rather empower and which one would you rather weaken? You would rather empower Russia, who you could actually work with and, you know, um, and in pretty much you know, do away with Iran relationship with Iran. I think you want to weaken Iran. Iran's proven themselves to be a real thorn in the Middle East side. And uh, I just think if we had a choice between Russia and Iran, you choose Russia. Well, Iran is like the, is, is like the caliphate of, you know, fanaticism, religious fanaticism. So that is a plague that spreads and, and Turkey kind of subscribes to that too. It affects Christianity. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, 
Well, you know, you know he is, he, and that's the thing. That's what I tell people too all the time. It's like Russia is so deeply embedded in historical Christian Christianity that it is against their moral code to do things, um, you know, outside of what religion would permit. You know what I mean? It's um, mm-hmm. because they have priests in everything. Like, watch a meeting where the Russian government sits down. You're going to see a metropolitan, a bishop, just hanging out with Putin. Uh, So they always get spiritual guidance. And they're always at church. They're always doing things. Uh, You know, so I tell people, like, you know, at least with that, you know they have a moral compass. Now, how much they deviate from it or not is another question. But nowhere in that moral compass is it okay to commit mass murders or genocide, okay? So that's something that um, gives us a little bit of comfort. A nation that has, uh, you know, alliances or answers to a higher calling or being, whatever that may be, uh, is less of a threat than one that has a higher calling or a devout a devotion to a being that says, hey, you can commit murder in the name of me. You know, so it's, it's anyway, but what I was trying to make the point and I digressed is Venezuela, the civil war that's going on right now, which is tragic because you're seeing Maduro tankers and armed cars running civilians over and killing them. There's like so much footage. It's so sad, but what is happening right now is not a coincidence because Venezuela is one of the richest and I pretty much think that the Saudis are on that page too. We need Venezuela to come in. We need them on OPEC. We need to be, you know, to have more oil out there. We need to make it more reasonable. And, you know, the thing is that Guaido is not going to play with the European Union because the European Union was supporting Maduro. Remember that. So right. this, is, this right. is so they're going to be locked out of a big oil France. source. France was... Well, no, they just said it, not really done it. You know, you could say a lot of things, but it's your actions and what you support. But the EU in itself was like, we shouldn't be in there. We shouldn't be doing things. So I don't think it's a coincidence that Venezuela is claiming their liberty today out of all days uh, because the discussions that probably uh, the Japanese prime minister who sat with the president, who's also on one of those waivers that are expiring, along with Putin sitting down and discussing with China uh, this weekend, you know, is a big deal. They're all discussing alternate routes so they can There's uphold no doubt. the U.S. I actions. think that the first two years of the Trump presidency, especially the last year, has been a whole bunch of, you know, like if you look at a chessboard, moving the pieces and putting them into place. And I really think now that you're starting to go in for the kill. And uh, at the ultimately at the end, you got to pick the right horse, uh, but you can't have the cho- you don't have a choice of horses unless you have the leverage and you have the tactical positioning uh, to execute your strategy. And I think that everything that's been done so far, the moving around the pieces, the alliance with Saudi Arabia, uh, the renegotiation with China, the renegotiation of NAFTA, the the renegotiation with uh, the European Union, all of these things are playing a part in setting the stage for the actual going for the checkmate and the checkmate's going to involve us really picking a long longer term strategic partner and uh i think russia's going to play well into that hand i think that venezuela is a huge opportunity i think china we can negotiate something really rational and sound there 
And I think that uh, together, I think all those entities will win. And again, three nationalists, China, Putin, Xi, Trump, are ruling the world right now. Uh, well, Scott, uh, that actually ends my last hour. Everyone, I think we're going to have major developments in Venezuela. Please tell everyone where they can follow you and see ScottAdamsShow.com. <laughs> Excellent. And everyone, thanks for tuning in. Um, we wish you a great evening. And uh, God bless from all of us here at Red State. I'll see you all tomorrow. Again, same time, same place, 12 to 2 Eastern time. Have a wonderful evening.